Amen. There was something incredibly powerful as we were singing earlier about the name of Jesus. Did you notice that? Just that sense as uh, I think Ellie was leading us at that point about God's incredible power and wonder through Jesus and the difference that he makes in our lives. And it's a joy to celebrate today in what God is doing in each one of our lives. And I'm thankful that we can open his word together and share together. Um, we've got a new series today. Alan, can you put the slides up for me, please? Thank you. And uh, a new series for just a few weeks entitled Overcoming. And we want to look together at some different aspects of one story in the Bible and the ways that God can speak to us about overcoming through this one story. We're in, as you've heard already, if it's your first time with us today, we give you a very warm welcome to church. Uh, we're entering a slightly new phase of church life, so this is a bit unusual for us. And we've been doing uh, different things over many years. The church is 90 years old this year, but this year is slightly different again. And uh, we're entering this new phase. And so today's a day of exploring something new in God together. And it's going to take a little while to press into that and to see what God will do over these weeks and months to come. But we are trusting and working together, um, working together and trusting God that he's leading us and directing us at each step. This is a spiritually significant day for us. You believe that? And for the town? As well, I believe it's a significant day for the town as well. And it's a day that's important to us as individuals and as a church. And this theme of how we overcome is going to be significant for us. I believe that we're called to be overcomers. We're not called to be defeated, we're called to be overcomers. We're called to stand in the truth of God's word and to overcome and to, um, to be strong and sure in him. But actually life throws all sorts of stuff at us. And I want to look at one of those things today. And we're looking for several weeks to the story of Joseph. And uh, Joseph in the book of Genesis is, is one of the, the guys that the Bible talks about quite a bit. Actually, he's got 14 chapters devoted to him in the book of Genesis. So it's about 50 chapters. Nearly a quarter of Genesis is devoted to Joseph. And uh, that, you might think that's a bit odd because Genesis kind of covers creation and the formation of Israel all the way through to kind of Joseph's death and the people being in Egypt and then what's coming next as God brings them out of Egypt. There's so much history, so many stories, but nearly a quarter of it is, is based around Joseph's life. And I think that's because the story of Joseph covers such important principles. When you're reading the Bible, you can do it in all sorts of different ways. And there are bits you can read which are songs and you can get stories that you can read bits about God through those. You've got some letters. We can read about God through those. We've got accounts of what Jesus did, and we can read about God through those. But some of, much of the Bible is what we call narrative theology. So we're discovering about God, this kind of talking about God, but through stories. And I think sometimes we lose the value of stories, just telling our story of what God's doing in our lives, telling the story of what's been happening, what our past is and what God's been doing there and what God's doing in our present and what God will do in our future. We lose track of that because we sometimes want to proclaim truth and yet that's a very good thing to do, but the Bible seems to wrap truth up in people's lives and wraps it up in narrative and in story. And I think there's so much given to the story of Joseph because there are important principles there that we can uncover and see together. And so we're going to see over these next few weeks some rich theology and the way that God is at work in our lives. The first topic is overcoming adversity. Overcoming adversity. 
we'll be seeing today that blessing and adversity go hand in hand. When we're talking about adversity, we're talking about the stuff that comes into our lives that you may not predict, it might surprise you, uh, it might catch you off guard. And I've got to hear a verse from Jesus, a promise from Jesus, just as he's talking to the disciples about sending the Holy Spirit to be with us always. And he says this, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And, And so we've got a couple of promises in there. We've got one that Jesus has overcome the world. That's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. He's overcome. So we know in that statement that Jesus has already overcome. This is pre-going to the cross. This is before the empty tomb. He's already overcome. And yet the other promise we see is that in this world you'll have trouble. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if we ask for a show of hands of who would experience trouble, there'd be a few. And we've shared each other's stories over the years, some of us, and we know that there's been trouble. And I'm not going to sing it, but there may be trouble ahead. (laughs) But actually, the better line that follows is that Jesus has overcome the world. You notice that the overcoming, kind of that declaration comes after the thought about trouble. Jesus doesn't want to leave us thinking about trouble. He wants to leave us thinking about the fact that he's overcome, that he's victorious, that he's almighty. Genesis 37. I'm just going to read uh, the first eight verses or so and then summarize the rest of the chapter because there's quite a lot going on. Uh, Some of you will know this very well, this story, and others it may be new to, but you'll get the gist of it as we go through. I'm going to read from the NIV today. It says this, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of corn out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he'd said. Just another couple of verses. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing, bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground, uh, bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now the story goes on for there, but a little bit of context just to help us out here. So Jacob is one of the, the people that follows in this line of folk that God has chosen starts with Abraham and God calls Abraham and works in his life and says, you're going to be the father to many nations. And where Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob and this family line is being built 
and established. And this is the story, so we're told, of Jacob, but actually most of it is about Joseph from this point on. Joseph is the second youngest of Jacob's sons. He's been born to Rachel. And Jacob has loved her much more than he loved his other wife and much more than he's loved others that he was uh, built, making as part of his family. And he loved Rachel and he loved Joseph. And this young man who's 17 at the time of this account, is this story is going to be about him. Or we're going to see a little bit about it. But this young guy who's the second youngest, who's 17, who's looking after the sheep with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpha. Now this little phrase, this, this little bit here, tells us that this is an unusual family. And some come from unusual families. And sometimes you might rule yourself out and you say, well, my family's a bit unusual. What can God do with me? Well, I need to just let you know briefly about this family. You see, Jacob had two wives and then they had servants and he also slept with them and had children by them. And so Joseph is now looking after the sheep uh, of his father alongside the brothers from his father's wives' servants. Now that's a messed up family. And yet God chose to use them. It's a messed up family in our, in our book because we look at nuclear family and we we see how things should be and we see later on how we should live as husband and wife together and we see God's pattern and principles for that and we look back and we go, what's going on here? And sometimes we skip over these verses because we're, we're kind of familiar with them but we, they're a bit uncomfortable so we just move on but this is a bit odd and I need to just let you know it's a bit odd. It's an unusual family, a blended family. And, and then the next verse tells us this, that when he's looking after the sheep, Joseph brings back to his father a bad report about his brothers. Now, we're not told that Joseph has done anything wrong at any point in this story. He may be naive, but we're not told of any sin, any pride. We're not told of anything else. We're just told here that he brings a bad report about his brothers to his father. Now, I suspect, given how the story unfolds, that his brothers have been up to something they shouldn't have been. It's quite likely that Joseph has gone and seen something that shouldn't be happening and that he doesn't like, and he's gone back to his dad and said, Dad, you never know what they're up to. You'll never guess what they're up to this time. And these rogues have been out doing all, up to all sorts of mischief, probably. But it has the inevitable effect that this son who's already loved more than the others is now hated by his brothers and despised by them even more. And we get this sense coming on that Israel, that's another name for Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he'd been born to him in old age. Any of you who are parents here, don't do this. This is not a good idea to pick a child and love them more than the others. It doesn't end well. If you got, uh, None of us have got 12, as far as I understand. I can understand that you might get fed up with one or two, but try not to pick one out of 12 and say, That's, you're my favorite. You're the one I'm going to lavish all my affection and my love on because it's not going to work well. Some may need special care and special attention. Some for seasons of their lives may need more of your time. But you must be careful with your affection and make it clear that we love kids the same. 
And this is a, not only a blended family, but it's now a messed up family because of what Jacob is doing in paying attention to one above the others. He gives Joseph a robe, and it's described as an ornate robe. We know it often as a coat of many colors. It's, it may not be because the Hebrew wording here is quite uncertain, but some scholars think that this is a robe symbolizing status. So actually it's symbolizing that Joseph is a, a, more of a managerial figure rather than a worker. I've heard somebody say that it's, it symbolized that actually, actually the robe had, probably had long sleeves, and for us that's nothing special, but... Um, for it, Joseph in this time, it would have meant that he was able to manage rather than get his hands dirty. Now, given that he's the second youngest, that has a particular significance because he's now potentially looking after his older brothers who already know that he's loved more by his dad. He's already bringing back a bad report about them. They're going to dislike him a little bit more than they already did. So the ornate robe isn't just a nice gift. It actually has a significance for Joseph's status and how his relationship with his brothers is outworked. This is a messy situation. And his brothers, we learn, hate him. It says in this verse here, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Now, any of us who've had siblings will have fallen out with them at some point. Some who've had siblings will have fallen out with them for many years. And perhaps you've not quite patched it up. And maybe that's something to attend to. Some of us who were only children may have fallen out with ourselves. You fall out with people fairly easily sometimes. And they've got this situation here in this family that they're hating one another. And they can't speak even a kind word to him. Before we get to anything else that happens in this story, Joseph is already facing significant adversity. He's loved He's chosen, but that very action causes a ripple effect where he's now hated by the people that he's surrounded by. And day after day after day, they're speaking negatively to him. Day after day, they're hating him and speaking about him and causing trouble. And in the middle of all this, in the middle of all this, Joseph has a dream. And he tells his brothers his dream. I like to think that it's not because he's proud. I like to think he's just a bit naive, maybe. And he's just not thought through the consequences of having a dream and telling the brothers who hate him that he's had a dream. We're not told later on in Joseph's life that he was proud. He he may have been, but there's no implication of that here in this story. We just know that the facts are recorded, that he tells them his dream, and they're not particularly keen on hearing that Joseph thinks that they might, he might rule over them at some point. It's sort of twisting the knife a little bit on their family situation. And Joseph is now, after all this, when he tells his dad and, uh, and all the rest of it, he's then sent off later on to go and find his brothers. The next bit of the story is where uh, the brother, some of the brothers have gone off and Joseph is sent to go and find them. Now they're looking after the flocks and Joseph thinks they're in a particular town which is about 50 miles away from where he is. So he's got to walk 50 miles to this place to go and see if it, where his brothers are, to go and get a report for his dad. His dad wants to find out how they're getting on and to, um, to go to them, see if it's well with them and bring word back. So once again, Jacob's setting Joseph up for trouble. And Joseph's being sent to go and basically find out what's going on and report back to dad. That's possibly not going to go well. 
But Joseph goes, this 50-mile journey, and he finds a guy and says, where are my brothers? And he says, well, they're, they're in this next place, which is another 14 miles further on. So he treks again to get to this next place, and he finds his brothers. And there they are looking after the flocks near Dothan. And as Joseph approaches, his brothers see him coming and they begin to make a plan. The Bible tells us that they, they plotted to kill him. It tells us that they actually started to plan his death at that moment as they could see him coming. Here comes that dreamer. Verse 19 says, if you're following it in your Bible, Genesis 37. They said to each other, come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of the cisterns. This is an underground um, sort of rain container. It's either a bit of water container. It's either been hollowed out of the limestone or it's been dug out and lined with clay uh, just to keep the water in. And it's, they're going to throw him in a cistern and say that a ferocious, ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Oh, wow. So they're plotting to kill Joseph at this point. Uh, and Reuben, one of the brothers, plans a rescue, uh, maybe because he's the eldest and he feels a bit responsible. It may be because he's carrying guilt because Reuben actually slept with his father's servants too. So it's a bit of a messy situation in the family too. And it's kind of, ah, uh, maybe there's all this, this sort of stuff going on. But Reuben hears and he says, let's not take his life. Just throw him into the system, but don't kill him. And he plans to go back and rescue Joseph at a later point. Joseph comes to his brothers and they take off his robe that he's wearing. Interesting, Joseph wore it on that journey. If I was him, I might have taken it off and left it at home. But Joseph wears it, this identifying mark, this significant robe. And he takes it and they strip him of it and they put him in a cistern. And the Bible says the cistern was empty and there was no water. And then it says they sat down to eat a meal. So the scene as we come. To the next part I want to make is that the point I want to make is that we've got Joseph here in a cistern with no water and his brothers sitting down eating their dinner. This is not a good day in Jacob's household. This is not a good day as, as they've looked out and gone, here comes that dreamer, let's kill him and let's see what happens to his dreams. And they've stripped him of his coat and they've put him in a cistern. When trouble comes our way, we ask all sorts of questions. We ask the obvious question, why? Why is this happening? Why is it happening to me? Why is it happening now? Why didn't it happen to somebody else instead of me? What have I done to deserve this? God, where are you in my adversity? We look at all sorts of reasons. And in this passage, as it unfolds and as the brothers eat, look up from their meal and they see some traders coming past, Ishmaelite, Midianite traders, and they decide to sell Joseph to them as a slave. And they do. And as they decide to kill a goat and take his, his special coat and dip it in the goat's blood and take it back to their dad and say, look, he got killed. We're sorry. It's not our fault. As all this is going on, we see that trouble is coming into Joseph's life. And yet we see that there's no stain on Joseph's character as we go through this story. And sometimes adversity comes into our lives and it's absolutely not our fault. It's not because of a sin that you've done that you didn't know about. 
Sometimes it's not because of a sin that you did know about. Sometimes it's not because of stuff that you've, you, you're worried about being in your past that troubles come your way. It just has happened. And we end up surprised. There's a whole book of the Bible called Job which explores this thought of why trouble comes. And Job has some friends who come and chat to him and explain that his trouble must be due to his sin. And Job says, no, it's not. I've not sinned. I've kept faithful to God. And his friends aren't convinced of this. Sometimes we can think it's because of our sin and it isn't necessarily so. It can be, but it isn't necessarily so. Secondly, adversity isn't necessarily a sign it isn't a sign of God's abandonment and it certainly isn't for our lives God never abandons Joseph he's with him all the way through and as he's in the cistern listening to his brothers plotting what to do with him what to do next with him God is still with Joseph he's still there with him as he sold to the slave traders God's still with Joseph he's there all the time we see that adversity accompanies blessing those who are blessed by God struggle. Let me say that again. Adversity accompanies blessing. Those who are blessed by God have struggles and battles and have to work through them. And if you're tempted to say, well, I'd rather not be blessed then if I can avoid the struggle, the next bit I wanted to say was that adversity is part of life. So you can be blessed by God and have struggles or you can not be blessed and still have struggles because it's just around us and it's there. And the reason this is significant for us today is because we're going into territory in our lives. And as a church, we're going into take ground, I believe, called by God. And we're going to be finding people who are stuck in adversity in the town center, in our villages and uh, towns around us at the south area of town. We're going to be finding people who are stuck in adversity and they're saying, why? Where's your God? Where is he? And I want us to know the truth that God doesn't abandon us in adversity. He doesn't walk out on us. He doesn't leave us. And when people are asking the questions, why is this happening? We need to have an answer. And a message of hope about what God can do in the midst of struggle. Secondly, I want us to see this important principle from this passage. Remember, Joseph had a dream. And his dream was that his brothers would be seen bowing down to him. God was giving Joseph a glimpse of something that could happen, that would happen later on, many, many years later. And we see this principle outworked in our own lives too, that what God is starting, the enemy wants to stop. When God's starting something, the enemy opposes it and wants to stop it. And that's exactly what's happening here. When Joseph is being given these dreams. There's this plot that comes in against him to crush the dream. Verse 19, I read this. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. Joseph already had problems before God gave him the dreams. But when he had the dreams, the problems got worse. There was this direct challenge that came and he was stripped of his robe. Now, this phrase on the screen, what, when God, what God is starting, the enemy wants to stop, I think we can identify this in our own lives. Many of us will have had the experience of having a sense that God wants us to seek him more, to pray, to, to get into God's word more, 
Maybe even to meet up with some people, some others, and talk about issues of faith and to, to share and to talk and to pray more. And you'll discover at that very moment, just as you've decided in your heart that now's the time to press in, life suddenly gets very busy. Have you noticed that? That it's just at that moment when you've made a decision, when God has been working in your heart, that you've said, okay, now's the time. I'm going to press in and I take hold of God more that suddenly something else crops up and your attention is diverted over here. There's, there's a sense that something is being stolen away. The decision that you make, the response you're making in response to the work of the Spirit can get stolen away sometimes. The times when you decide to fast and pray. And that's the moment when everything kicks off in life. And it just gets hard sometimes. It doesn't always happen like that. Sometimes it's, it's easy, but sometimes it just gets really hard. The times when you decide that you're going to look at your finances and trust God in a new way and start giving in a particular way. You've, you've read the Bible through and you think, God's just challenging me about my giving and I'll, and I'll start my giving and then, then the car breaks down. Oh, well, now I need, I'll sort that out when I fix the car. You know, there's these challenges that seem to come every time God wants to stop, start something in our lives. Jesus told us a story about the sower sowing seed on the ground and how some of the seed falls on good ground and some is snatched away and some gr the weeds grow around it. And there's this battle that he's betraying for the seed, which is the word of God. And I want to just say this today, that God is sowing seeds still in our lives. It's not just about the gospel. It's not just about people coming to faith, though that it is about that. But there's also this sense that God is still speaking to us and there's still the, the challenges of life that come around us. And we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware that God is wanting to start new things in our lives. And we mustn't let the enemy take the ground. Uh, the Bible says this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What God starts, if we let him, he will finish it. Thirdly, we see this, God is able. If ever there was a story of a dysfunctional family, this, this could be it. If ever there was a story of a family where it looks like it's all going wrong, a life where there's so much promise, Joseph the chosen one, the special son, and it just goes wrong. If you were writing the plot, you, you probably wouldn't write this because you'd say, well, that's too ridiculous, too outlandish. I wouldn't go there if you're writing a novel of this story. But the brothers plotting to kill him, him being sold into slavery, and then sold on to one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of his guard. And he's sold into the house of a man called Potiphar as a slave. From there, an incident happens that we'll look at next week, and he ends up in prison. From, from prison, he ends up being forgotten. And when he's forgotten, he ends up eventually being dragged in front of Pharaoh, the, the sort of king of Egypt. And this story, you wouldn't have plotted the challenges that Joseph faces. But yet God is able. God is able to bring good out of other people's evil desires. God's able to bring blessing out of cursing. God's able to bring a blessing out of other people's desire to do you down. And God had a plan to bless Joseph and he brought it to pass. God is able to bring good out of whatever family background you have. God's able to bring good out of whatever disappointment you've carried. 
God's able to bring good out of whatever adversity you're facing right now. God is able. Sometimes we look at ourselves and we say, what can God do with me? God can do all sorts of things with you. Romans 8, 28 says this, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who those who God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. God is able to fulfill his promise to Joseph, and he's able to fulfill his promise to you. God's able to work with messy raw materials and make something good out of it. And if today you're looking a bit at your life and your past and you're going, do you know what? It's a bit messy. What can God do with me? I don't fit. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. I don't measure up. God wants to take you from where you are and use you just as you are. He might change some bits along the way. In fact, he will change some bits along the way. But he wants to start with what you can give him. And you can't give him anything else other than yourself. Which is why the prayer we encourage people to pray to come to Christ is say, Lord, I want you to be Lord of all. Because that's all you can do. When a couple stand at the front of a church and get married, they, they can only give each other what they've got. And they say, well, all I've got, I've shared with you. That's it. There's nothing else. And we're saying to God, all I've got, I give to you. Lord, would you take me, my mess, and would you make something good out of it? And God does. We see this, that God's plan is bigger than adversity. Now, can I give you a spoiler? Is that possible? Do you mind? Nobody seems to mind. Okay. No one's objecting. In the end of the story, in, in Genesis chapter 50, we read this. This is Joseph speaking to his brothers. And... They, they're quivering before him. They've, they've had a reconciliation, but they've come together at this point. Uh, and they're so guilt-ridden about what they've done to him. And Joseph speaks these words, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. We can unpack what happened in another week. Um, briefly, there was a famine and the whole of the people needed to go to Egypt to get fed. And Joseph happened to be there at the right time, in the right place, with the right knowledge of God and the right faith in him to say the right things at the right time to the right person, to be put in the right position to save the world, basically. And he's saying that where his brothers set out to cause him harm, God intended to work out his plan for good in the midst of all that. That's amazing. And God's promise to Joseph is not random. It's part of a bigger plan that Joseph couldn't see. The promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and from Jacob through Joseph and the other brothers to the nation of Israel that, that one day Jesus would come. That one day salvation would come to you and to me. That salvation would be offered to the world. God's plan is vast. Now, Joseph, as a 17-year-old having a dream, can probably only see with a 17-year-old's wisdom and a 17-year-old's perspective and the dream he's had. And he goes, hey, brothers, I've had a dream. Dad, I've had a dream when he has the second one. That's all I suspect his perspective is. And he might be wondering when he's in the cistern what happened to the dream. 
He might be wondering when he's been sold to the slave traders, what happened to the dream. He might be wondering when he ends up in Potiphar's house, what happened to the dream. But that's a story for another day. But I don't think Joseph had any clue as to the scale of God's plan. The scale of what God wanted to do. And the adversity was great, but the plan was bigger. And over our lives, over your life and over mine, over God's church, not just this one, but the church in the town, the church around the world, God's plan is bigger than we can see. God's plan is good and it's big and it's vast. It's bigger than any adversity and God is working through his purposes for our good and for his glory. You know, sometimes we can think that our story is the story. You ever done that? When, when you read the Bible and all you see is your story? When, when all you can see is your perspective of what your life is and actually God is doing so much more. And sometimes you need to go on mission or you need to meet some other Christians or you need to hear some stories some testimonies about what God's doing in someone else's life to wake us up and go, hang on a minute, the story is bigger than my story. My story is part of this, but it's not all about me. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing that when, you, when our young people go to university this week, I think we're four, four are going from church on, to university this week, this, God's story is not just about their story. Their story is part of it, but it's not the whole thing. When God's doing some, when our story is being told, it's bigger then we can see that because God is at work and our perspective often is too small. We can't always see the half of what God's doing. Finally, we see this, that God is in the midst, that God hasn't gone anywhere, that whether Joseph's in the cistern, this pot that he's been chucked in when he's been sold to the slave traders, wherever he is, God has not left him. So what do we do? when we're facing troubles of many kinds, or when we're comforting others who are going through troubles. The truths are the same. I believe that we need to see in this story today that we should look up firstly. And sometimes it's all you can do. I guess Joseph in that cistern, I'm imagining, I don't know what it would have looked like, but I'm imagining a hollowed out thing and a narrow funnel and he's looking up through it if he wants to see daylight. He could look down and look at his feet, but my encouragement would be to look up. And my encouragement today to you, if you're struggling through adversity, things are happening that you don't like, would be to look up and see the king. And my encouragement would be that we carry a message of hope to people in our community that we can say to them, if you're struggling, look up. Let me help you. Let me walk with you for a while. Because sometimes looking up is the hardest thing to do. Because you're not sure who God is or if he's there or if he loves you or if he cares. But my encouragement is to look up. And where there's adversity, God has a promise. Secondly, to trust in God that he's able to bring about good. Because he is. Thirdly, to look in. Look inwardly. If God is starting something, don't give up. I said something very quickly earlier that what God wants to start, the enemy wants to steal or to stop. And for many of us, we've started journeys and we've stopped. 
And I believe there's some of us who've pulled over into the lay-by of life on certain issues in our lives, and we've parked up thinking God's finished. And, and I want to say God hasn't finished. God started some of those things you've parked. God started some of those desires and ambitions to serve him and to follow him. God sparked some of those ideas that you had, and you've let, pulled up in the lay-by because life's been hard, and there's been things that have come along, and they've, you've thought that that's it, the opportunity's gone. And I need to say today, it's not true. What God had started, he wants to see through to completion. He doesn't want it to be stopped or aborted. He doesn't want to be finished. He wants to speak life again and say that what he started, he can carry through to completion. So it's time to pull out of the lay-by and get going again because God hasn't forgotten some of the promises that he's spoken. Thirdly, so look up, look in, look on. will be my third one. See that God's plans are bigger for our lives. Do you know, on my best day and on your best day, we can read the word of God. We can listen a bit to God. I love the fact that amongst our midst, we have people who hear from God. Not, people hear in different ways. Some have dreams, some have visions, some hear audible voices occasionally, some have a sense of God speaking and it comes somewhere here. Almost, that's how it's described often. Some read the Bible and get a sense of God speaking through that. Others have conversations and there's a moment where you think God's in this. Others observe things around them and God seems to be speaking through that. But whatever happens on our best day, we see a tiny glimmer of what God's doing. On our best day, faced with incredible opportunity and, and difficult adversity at times, we see the tiniest glimpse of what's actually going on. And my encouragement would be to, be to look beyond what we see right now and to say, God, you're doing something new. Just as you took a Joseph who came from a rough background, who had a rough life and things went badly wrong for him, you never let him go and you're never going to let me go either. Can we pray together? Father, today we thank you that you are at work in our lives even when we suffer and face adversity. Lord, from the story of Joseph, which we've skimmed today, we see that you never let him go. We see that your plans are bigger than his were. We see, Lord, that your ability to prosper and bring about your purposes from other people's evil desires was immense. And you could do something new in his life. And Father, I pray for each one here who may be going through times that are very challenging, that you would encourage us today to look up and see you. To look in at those things you've called us to start and to have courage again that it was you that was calling us and to look on to see beyond the current circumstances. And Lord, I pray that we would take courage today not just for ourselves, but for those around us. That we would take the word of God and we'd take the sense, Lord, that you are able to work in people's lives beyond the difficulty, beyond the challenge and in the midst of it. And we'd take that message of hope to a community in need. Lord, that when we go to work, when people are going to uni, when they're going to school, or whatever situation we're in with our neighbors, our friends, our family, Lord, wherever we go, may we take a message of hope that your plans are bigger, that you're able to fulfill your purpose for our lives. 
and that your kingdom will come. Lord, we thank you that you have overcome the world and we rejoice in you. Amen.